nine wins, 32 goals, and a plus 18 goal differential in their first 14 regular season matches. All are MLS records for an expansion team at this stage of a season. Unprecedented work by St. Louis City SC. Welcome to Flyover Footy, everyone. My name is Matt Baker. I'm joined, as always, by Santiago Beltran. And we're here for our Flyover Footy's Fallout episode, all about City's 3-0 win over the Houston Dynamo. Santi, how are you? Buenos dias. Very excited, Matt. I, I got confused. I was thinking maybe he's talking about another team uh, because at the beginning of the season, a lot of people didn't see this coming. And here we are, St. Louis on the top of the table, already went to the highs, some lows, going through the highs again. So it's been a great season in St. Louis so far. Top of the table for the second time. We've kind of uh, reached that flow of our ebb where we've we've come back and we're we're on the upswing again here and honestly this team is showing no signs of letting up yeah it's amazing uh obviously joao klaus uh has been out for a few weeks and and it took a few games for the team to figure out how to play without him but now that they have found they have found how to do it the team is uh just winning and winning third consecutive win at home something that had not happened yet and uh, it's great to see that the team is back on track uh, where it was at the beginning of the season absolutely and what we saw play out kind of mirrored what we thought we would see we saw houston dominating possession more so in the first half i think we saw houston actually dominating the shots we saw the passing play out kind of as we expected we saw a physical game and we'll get to just some of that physicality but let's start off with the starting 11 which there's really not a lot to say in my thoughts. It was it was kind of as we expected. I think we nailed it on flyover last week with Berkey, Hebert, Parker, Bartlett, and Nerwinski on our defense. We had Jabulu Blom and Edward Leuven. Tomas Ostrock sliding into the starting 11 in place of the suspended Jared Stroud. Indiana Vasilev, Celio Pompeu, and Nico Joachini. No surprises for me and overall happy to see the consistency remain in our lineup. Yeah, man for man. Ostrak going for a Stroud and Matt, you nailed the lineup and you also nailed your prediction. So you were two and two yesterday. Thank, I mean, thank goodness, right? Because usually when I'm right about stuff like that, we had been losing. I'm happy to see that streak broken. And sometimes you just get lucky on that kind of thing. I'm happy it all worked out. Yeah, but yeah, it's great to see that consistency and and Ostrak um, is starting again, taking that opportunity. And, and he had some good things during the game, scored a goal. So um, it was great to see that uh, he did well when, when that chance, that chance uh, to start came to him. You know, Santi, it's interesting to me looking at the formation and how it played out in the match because it seemed like a pretty straightforward 4-2-3-1 with Nico Giochini up top. Uh, Celio Pompeu was left. And then they kind of switched a little early on between... Indiana Vasilev and Tomas Ostrak uh, mid and right. But looking at the passing network, the average positions of the players when they were receiving and sending the ball, it kind of played out more like a 3-4-3 if you look at the, if you shift the field diagonally almost, where you had Hebert, Parker, and Bartlett there in the back. Nerwinski was kind of moving up a little bit on the right-hand side, and you had Celio Pompeu so high up and so wide on the left in a, a standard position for him, kind of averaging it out. You saw some consistency in where Blom and Leuven were, Blom right in front of the back line, Leuven a little further up in front of him, both centrally. And then you had a really tight, almost triangle connection there with Tomas Ostrak, Indiana Vasilev, and Nico Joachini 
really playing off of each other really well consistently. It was fascinating to see that as opposed to your more traditional two center backs staying deep and then moving up both wing backs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Celio, uh, when you look at the passing network, like you see Celio all the way to the left, but uh, just having Ostrak, Basilev, and Joaquini connecting and creating havoc uh, on the right side uh, really played well for the team. And five minutes into it, created that opportunity for a PK. Uh, great play and um, great, great things. Uh, great to see what the team did. And um, Going back to Houston, um, obviously they rested some guys. Um, they That's didn't good. have some of their key starters, but it's still um, St. Louis uh, and Carnell has said this. I, 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 we can control what we can control. We will just plan for playing Houston. We'll have a good game plan, and if they have some some guys that want to start, that's fine. But we will have a plan for the team, and the plan worked to perfection yesterday. It really did. And you can't discount the fact that two of our goals were by PKs because they were earned. Both of those goals were very much earned in how we were able to, uh, to, to earn those PKs. But I thought it was interesting that Houston ended up with uh, 1.4 expected goals. St. Louis ended up with 2.4 to that PKs where I kind of told the story on the St. Louis side. But the Dynamo having 16 total shots, and we'll get into the rest of the stats soon, but most of those shots were overall very low percentage. And we talked last week about how that was a key for St. Louis is to mitigate high percentage opportunities, how the Dynamo liked to play the ball throughout their field. When they get to the final third, that's when they do some of their best passing. And so to know that they had 16 total shots, yet only a 1.4 expected goals, that tells a pretty good story of how effective our defense was at keeping them out of some of these dangerous positions. And on the flip side, you had a pretty good onslaught by St. Louis, including both Edward Leuven and Nico Joachini recording their fifth MLS goals of the season, bringing them in line now with Klaus for Tide leading the team. Yeah, yeah, it was good to see both of them on, on the score sheet. And uh, Edward Lewin having a great game again, uh, scoring that PK. Uh, his corner kicks and uh, his free kicks uh, were dangerous again. One thing my, that caught my attention, and I think the team must have seen something uh, in how Houston uh, played the corners, uh, because early in the game, Lewin had one that, it was like really close to goal. It was almost an Olympic. Almost and then no, no. like 20 minutes later, um, Basilev did something similar from the other side. And uh, Steve Clark uh, was able to block it. And then there was a foul. But uh, the team must have identified something because they did it like uh, not only those two, like maybe two or three more times. A far post weakness almost. And it was interesting seeing, uh, I would say seeing Tim Parker kind of maneuver in some of those corner kicks because there were multiple times where the head official had to kind of separate the players who were right in front of Steve Clark at goal. Tim Parker, most uh, visibly at least, seemed to be causing a little, a little consternation by Houston, the way he was positioning himself, jockeying for position. But it was all tightly compact, it seemed. You're right right in front of Steve Clark, leaving some space there on both posts. So that's a that's an interesting note, especially that Vasilev tried the same thing a second time. Yeah, yeah. and Lewin tried it a couple more times, then it went too far, but uh, it was interesting to me that the team uh, tried to do that quite a few times. Yeah, and like we said, Lewin and Joachini now up to five goals on the season, but 
Leuven kind of had a hand in every single goal. And we'll start off with the goal that happened in the ninth minute, really early on, and it was a Leuven PK. But the way that that built up, kind of you have to give a lot of credit to Indiana Vasilev. The play built with a throw-in. Jake Nerwinski had the ball wide right. He found Tomas Ostrak with a long pass on the ground to the right corner of the box, trying to play him centrally. Ostrak played it himself between two defenders as he kind of started to veer wide right, gets outside of the box, and waited for Indiana Vasilev to be left open. Once Ostrak drew enough defenders, he laid it off to Vasilev in the corner of the box, and then he made that run that went through two defenders and ended up drawing a foul from Chase Gasper. And in beating Gasper, it was Gasper's right upper body that kind of thrust into Indy. It wasn't any leg tie-up, but it did appear on replay that, at least from the the angle from behind, Gasper pretty clearly extended, whether his arm or his shoulder, and it coincided with Indy going down. So whether it was a soft foul, like the announcers were saying, it was still a foul because <laughs> end of the day, it was called it because the, there was arm extension to Indy, and I think it was confirmed on uh, replay when they were looking at it. Pretty clear and obvious to me. Yeah, soft fouls are fouls, and uh, great job by Indy, like going between two guys and finding that foul. But I love how that, that play was built. Uh, you were mentioning you started with Nerwinski uh, passing it to Ostrak, but before that, Barlett, Parker, Blum were yep. involved. Uh, the team, and we have mentioned this uh, in previous episodes, like the team is now very patient during the buildup and uh, just going side to side. And uh, instead of going long balls like um, they did a few games when Klaus was out, I like what the team is doing, how they are building the plays. And this play uh, show uh, that being patient uh, could result in, in good things for the team. It's almost like they have a better sense of where each other is going to be and when they're going to start their runs because you have to have, if you're going to have patience and you're still playing the ball direct with very few passes, you saw last night the amount of long pass and medium pass attempts from our back line, especially Tim Parker had, I think, four successful passes into the attacking third. And when you're, when you're having your center backs start to be involved in very intentional passes that lead to scoring opportunities, you know that your players are gelling well and you're creating enough space and you have an awareness of where each other is going to be. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see um, that the team is being patient and everybody kind of knows where everybody is. And uh, you, you can see uh, as the weeks go by and these guys play more games together, more training sessions together, like the team continues gelling and, and playing as a unit. And uh, things are happening in St. Louis, um, just uh, three games in a row. Um, lots of goals without the leading striker who has been out with a few injuries and the team is figuring out how to do it. That's probably the most exciting thing to me uh, after seeing this kind of build up and now we're seeing consistency to it. We can talk about trends. We could talk about it's, it's not just a fluke one game that they got lucky with uh, Indiana Vasilev new position and a brace, but it's, it's repeatable. And that's one of the best things you can see for a team that's missing their star striker is repeatable success on the offensive end, knowing that you have multiple options that can be consistent. Yeah, it'll be interesting, be interesting to see uh, what the team will do when Klaus is back. But for now, let's enjoy what these guys are doing. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier that the game got physical. 
And it wasn't just in the fouls. It wasn't just in the yellow cards during the run of play. But there at the end of the first half, we have to talk about it, right? Three minutes into stoppage, after an Edu Leuven free kick, the ball was played in to Cascaria from Houston. Blom goes, and so this is on the left-hand side. Jabulu Blom comes from the center of the field, trying to make a tackle and dispossess Cascaria, or Karaskia, sorry. Karaskia, yeah. Karaskia kind of took offense to that action, it seemed, pretty quickly. Blom tried to kind of step through him to get the ball. Karaskia passed the ball away and immediately turned around and shoved Jabulu Blom. Uh, once Blom was shoved, he pushed back, and then it kind of escalated from there. Both teams started to get involved. Both teams started to converge on the incident, converge on both of those players. And that's when, out of nowhere, Ivan Franco just kind of came and, for whatever reason, targeted Nico Joachini from behind, grabbed him with both hands. It was kind of uh, one hand around, right hand around the body, left hand a little higher from what it looked like. And on first look, uh, at least looking live and definitely what I saw in the from the stands is that he was thrown to the ground and and thrown from that left hand that was high up, possibly a neck, a face. It was pretty clear why Ivan Franco had a straight red called on him. So it seemed like that was that until time went by. It was clear from the stands that something was being looked at. And watching the replay, you see what the, the ref was looking at. It was more of, I wouldn't say pure embellishment, although I know there are St. Louis fans out there on some of the Facebook groups who are looking at uh, Nico flopping, and they're looking at more of the same when you have that kind of narrative in your mind about what you're what you're expecting to see from Nico. Um, but Nico felt something. I mean, it's pretty clear to me. Nico felt something around his neck and head, and some kind of force was used, and he went down. And he, he was going for drawing it. So he, it was a little a little more over the top. I, I will definitely give it that. Um, but Franco put himself in that position to begin with. And he, he gave himself up for any potentiality when he puts his hands on there. I, I don't personally think that it was in on replay red card worthy. I'm okay with the call as it stood. I'm fine with it being rescinded down to a yellow. But I would have ju- been just as fine with a red card and and from the point of Franco can't put himself in that position. And he was being yelled at by his own teammates for getting that heated coming out of nowhere. He wasn't involved in the scuffle. He didn't need to put any hands on Nico. So anything that would have come his way was entirely deserved by him and on his own accord. Yeah. His teammates, his teammates were so mad at him. Uh, I was watching uh, and, and I saw that last night too, but when I was watching the replay, um Shevchenko was like yes yelling at him and making signs like think uh, don't you, you don't do that and um yeah I'm, I'm, I agree with you at the end maybe at the end I don't think it was um yeah um, red card worthy yellow card is fine uh what what was reviewed in the video review was um if there were hands to uh Joaquin's face and mm-hmm. when you see a replay that he didn't hit his his face so i think that's why the car was rescinded but but yeah he put himself in that position and uh where he was a red card yellow card i think the ref uh was right showing a, a car there and um yeah maybe i don't know like yeah there's so much complaining about soft penalties flopping like everybody's trying to look for bad things about St. Louis uh, mm-hmm. and, and think that the refs are favoring St. Louis, but um, that's just the narrative, you know. 
Yeah, and I still think from a fan perspective, there's some um, PTSD from the first few matches without Klaus where Nico wasn't the striker that can strictly replace Klaus. And so I think right now there is still some jadedness to be said among the St. Louis fan base of the way Nico Joachini plays his game. But, Santi, if we fast forward just a few minutes past halftime, let's look at what Nico Joachini did at that point because he won a loose ball right before 51 minutes and he drew a foul from Artur just outside the attacking third on the right side of the field. And if it wasn't for Nico Joachini drawing a foul, which he has shown pretty adept at doing when he's, he's going for some of these duels, what came next wouldn't have happened. And what came next was Edward Leuven sending a corner from a free kick to the far post with a header by Lucas Bartlett that fell right to the feet of Tomas Ostrak, sliding it in on the near post from the kick to make it 2-0 St. Louis. Yeah, that was uh, it was great to see that happening when when I was uh, on the broadcast um, when Lubin and Basilev were in front of the ball. There was an exchange between Basilev and um, Lucas Bartlett. Lucas Bartlett came over and they talked, and then he went off on his run and positioned himself in the box. And on the broadcast, I was like, hmm. This has to be like the play, uh, Basilev and, and Bartlett talking about it. And uh, then uh, we were kind of joking. And um, Hector was like, yeah, it's as simple as I pass it to you and you score. <laughs> and then what we see, like Leuven goes to the far post and, and Bartlett with, with the header and finds uh, Ostrak. Uh, it was a very well executed set piece. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, like what happened before and then what happened during the play. It was great to call that one. Yeah, and so after the goal, we kind of get into the managerial strategy of the game. You have a little uh, tactical adjustments being made, almost a uh, tit-for-tat going on. And we talked about it right before we started recording, that this is where you get into the strategy, the nitty-gritty of... And, and Carnell has had an, uh, an issue here and there before of trying to over-strategize, of trying to respond as opposed to sticking to your own game and, and getting taken out of things a little bit. So the blow-by-blow blow of it all goes, that goal happened in the 51st minute. We go up 2 nothing In the 60th minute, Houston makes two subs, sending in Michael and the Mexican national team cap- uh, captain, the, the hero of the day, Hector Herrera, designated player. He comes in for our tour. And then... Carnell subs in just five minutes later, AZ Jackson, Rasmus Alm, who makes his final, finally his triumphant return. We get Indiana Vasilev and Tomas Ostrak out of the game. Just four minutes later, after AZ picks up a yellow card, Houston has another couple of subs. They bring in Ulferson and Franco Escobar. Couple minutes go by, Ethan Barlow gets a yellow card. And then the big third goal happens where... After, uh, well, the play-by-play of it really is a throw-in by Houston. The tackle is won by Jabulu Blom with on the 83rd minute. The loose ball is fed to Rasmus Alm. So I mentioned those blow-by-blow subs coming in. This one comes to Rasmus Alm, who takes the ball, dribbles right through a couple defenders, lays it off to Nico Joachini, who's holding the line. Joachini feeds it to a streaking AZ Jackson down the right side of the box. And almost, I was watching the broadcast, it almost seemed like, Nobody really expected that to be anything mm-hmm. yeah. until you get the review. You get the foul called on Steris, which 
to the announcer's credit, did say that's more of, of a shout than the one in the first half on Vasilev. Yeah, yeah, we said the same thing. Um, but yeah, I wasn't expecting anything to be called. But hey, thanks to Bar. Sometimes uh, it goes your way. Sometimes it doesn't. But uh, it was you know, great. If if that doesn't say you know VAR is not favoring one team or the other because you had VAR rescind a red card earlier or at least call down to the head ref to get it rescinded, you had it take a look at this one. It all evens out in the end, and and through it all, you have to remember the thing that Carnell likes to say is that if you have to rely on the official for anything, you've not done your job and you've already probably lost. The yeah, game. yeah. So absolutely. What happened after that, though? is mm. worth discussing so we know az drew the foul we know leuven is the designated pk taker i'm gonna walk us through a timeline and then i'm gonna let you give me your thoughts on it because i think it's kind of self-evident on what happened and it, it's it's interesting so leuven steps up leuven is in the box about to take the pk on the broadcast and in person you can see that nico joachini walks up to edu leuven he says something and then he starts to walk away leuven looks back as Nico's walking away, almost resigning himself, he says something, Nico looks back, and then Leuven uses his hand to kind of motion for him to come back. And at that point, Nico Joachini steps up, and he buries the, the PK. He scores the goal. He gives himself his fifth of the year. Bradley Carnell was asked about this post-game, and Carnell's response to uh, Edu Leuven relinquishing his PK duties is, yeah, I'm not the happiest. But I support my players, and I know how tight games can be. And at 2-1, Edu's a great teammate. He's shown that time and time again. But yeah, listen, I mean, Edu's the designated penalty taker. But if we feel enough confidence within the group, yeah, first of all, I'm not happy about it, but I support it, right? Because I support my players to make decisions on and off the field in the best manner that they feel at that point in time. With regards to that, I support my group. That was for Carnell's first comment. Carnell was asked a follow-up question, uh, not being thrilled, but what it can do for Nico uh, to be trusted in that moment and then to capitalize on it. And so Carnell responded, yeah, so we speak about trust a lot, right? We speak about trust when we are pass or pressing. We speak about trust when we are defending. And we speak about trust when we occupy positions with the ball so we can play passes almost blindly. So if we give that trust over to somebody else because we always speak about that and we always say mistakes are okay because that's the only way to learn – you know, will learn and grow in good and bad. Edward Leuven was asked the same kind of question later on when he was available. Leuven's quote, and uh, I know you were you were on the the presser, so I'll let you add some context if you think there's anything else. But Leuven says, "Yeah, so I think the other guys told me like in the future that I should take all the penalties because maybe it creates chaos as well because many other guys won't want to shoot as well." I just thought, you know, he asked me, and obviously I want to score the second one, then use the opportunity. I was very confident about the penalty, but I thought, like, you know, I want to do something good for my teammate. He wanted to score. As a striker, you always want to score, so I just thought about that. Yeah, I think to Lewin and, and just watching him respond to the question, um, I think to him it wasn't a, a big deal. But um, obviously for Carnell it was. And, yeah, I think it goes back to uh, – to the team structure and to everybody having uh, specific duties. Leuven's duty is to take the, the penalty kicks, uh, corner kicks, uh, most of the free kicks. But at the same time, just me thinking about it, he had already kicked one penalty. So I think the fact that he gave it to Nico is also 
a good strategy. Like you make the goalkeeper think, now he's not thinking, oh, he kicked this one to to my right. Maybe he will go left or maybe he'll go right again. So you, you at, the, at the end of the game, you make them think again and it's against um, somebody who maybe they have not studied. So in the end, it turned out well. But uh, but yeah, like I see why Bradley Carnell wasn't happy, but and I'm sure they will talk about it. But at the same time, uh, it, it ended it ended with a happy ending. Nico scoring um, that third goal and getting to five goals in the season. So at the end, it was a a happy ending. Nothing happened, but I'm sure there will be conversations within the team uh, this week. No doubt. And I found it interesting that, again, he earned player of the game roles. Edward Leuven had a hand in all three of our goals, whether it was scoring one, whether it was the free kick that led to one, or the, the I, I guess you could call it a, uh, a an honorary or kind of a uh, camaraderie assist that happened in handing it over to Nico. So Leuven hand in just about all the goals, earning him the player of the match. Individually, Edu Leuven, I don't think you can make an argument for any other player to deserve player of the match. You had some really standout moments. You had some standout performances by some other players that we'll talk about in a moment. But really quick, Edu Leuven's resume for this game, second straight player of the game. He had a goal and you could argue. I think he should have had an assist in that first, the first, uh, the, the free kick that he had. I, they called it unassisted. And well, I, he, um, he didn't get one. If they did, it was uh, after the fact, because when I looked last night, they still hadn't awarded him or Bartlett the assist, oh, which is a travesty, right. at even the replay. So yeah. maybe it's changed by now, but if not, he sh- to me, he should have an assist. I didn't see any opposition touching that ball. Yeah, that should be that should be an assist for Bartlett. Um, if, if not, then if it is great, I'm happy. But if not, I'm filing my complaint right now. Yeah. So beyond that one, the moral assist that I mentioned in uh, handing it to Nico, things that don't go on the scorebook, but what does go on the score sheet and the stat line are 84 touches, 13 passes into the final third, five corners taken, three tackles won, two clearances, 12 recoveries, 10 ground duels won, 38 carries with the ball, leading the team in all of those things, five scoring chances, scoring, uh, Scoring created actions, meaning he what he did led to a shot being taken, a shot creating action. Tied with Indiana Vasilev for the lead in that. And five successful take-ons, meaning he had the ball at his feet and he was taking on a defender and was able to get past the defender with the ball still at his feet. Successful take-on that he led the team with. Edward Leuven also leads the team now for most goal contributions after this game. He has 11. Like we said, he has five goals. He also has six assists. Leuven also leads the team in shots, shots on target, key passes, tackles, passes, successful dribbles, crosses, just, I mean, on and on it goes. Leuven has now scored in three consecutive matches, which is the longest streak by any City SC player. And Leuven has also opened the scoring with a set-piece goal for the third consecutive match. He had a PK against Sporting, free kick, uh, worldy against Vancouver, and then the PK against Houston. So we always talk about needing to get off on the on the right foot fast. And it's been clear that not just Indiana Vasilev or Nico Joachini or anybody else, but Edu Leuven has helped to drive that to probably the furthest extent. Absolutely. Edward Leuven um, having a great season. Hopefully he gets uh, some love from the fans for the MLS All-Star game. Yes. Uh, I hope he he gets uh, selected, but um, just he's just having a, a great season and basically 
doing what a designated player should do for for their team. Um, he's like everywhere. He's having assists, uh, scoring with these PKs. Um, but yeah, I really like what what he has been doing with City, and um, the league is now learning about him, and they didn't know anything about him at the beginning of the year. So much so that uh, Max Milano Bretos, the Spanish broadcaster, has listed Edu Leuven in his top four for the first-class cabin for MVP candidates after match day 17, in which St. Louis City has only played 14 games. But among that list, Edu Leuven sits alongside Lucho Acosta, um, Denny Buanga, and Hani Mukhtar. Wow, that's it, a great company, company to be in. Yeah, elite company. Uh, but yeah, if he continues uh, doing what he's doing and making a, having an impact on every game, yeah, he could be in that discussion, especially if City continues uh, its winning ways and being a top three, top four on the table. There is no, no, there's no reason why, we, why he shouldn't be in that discussion for MVP. Yeah, and, and we know the stellar performance he had here. Uh, some of the other notable players throughout this game, Justin Horniker had a great tweet highlighting Jabulu Blom. And my my big thing for Jabulu Blom has been what he's done that hasn't reached the scorecard in their stat sheet, which is providing that stability to St. Louis City in the defensive midfield. And, and not just individually, because the, the stats, he mentioned 100% dribbling, 77% passing, 100% long ball passing, two passes from Belome into the final third, eight out of 10 dual rate, seven recoveries, three interceptions, a block, and two clearances. But that's that's individually. What he does to the rest of the team in letting them play more natural positions for themselves, freeing them up, I'm talking Indiana Vasilev, I'm talking Edu Leuven, even Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett there on the back line. All of these players are able to play within themselves and stick to their principles and their styles that prefer them because Blome is doing what he's doing. Lutz mentioned when he was signed that he was the missing puzzle piece. Yep. And truer words couldn't be spoken, right? Yeah. Uh, and he, he had an unlucky beginning of the season. Uh, first with his visa, not not getting, getting it on time and getting late to um, training camp. So obviously he, he wasn't in shape to uh, be a starter game one, although Indiana Basilev had to uh, exit that game very quickly and yeah. that kind of changed things. And, and then Blom uh, was a starter the following game. But but then unfortunate things um, just with COVID and, and then the growing injury. But now he he's back in form and he's showing how important he is uh, he's part of that spine of the team. And, and as you said, he has uh, Fred, um, other players like Edo Leuven, like Indiana Vasilev, basically allowing Vasilev to play in his natural position yep. has allowed the team to score 10 goals in the last three games. Absolutely. Now, I have four other players here that I wanted to highlight. Obviously, Roman Berkey. Berkey recorded his fourth clean sheet of the season. And we know from listening to other MLS podcasts like Extra Time that he's in contention for the All-Star game, whether it's from a fan vote or not. You can't discount the work that he's done on that back line. And especially after Hector Herrera entered the game in the second half and kind of changed up Houston's dynamic and allowed them to be a little more threatening. Some of the balls got through our back line. And there was one 
just absolutely insane moment where Berkey had a block that went to Tim Parker's head right behind Berkey. If that doesn't talk about the teamwork that Berkey and Parker have in particular (laughs) and their ability to complement each other, nothing will. Yeah, and just talking about key players, Berkey again, so you mentioned that one, but he had another save earlier. Uh, Like He keeps coming with with a couple big saves every game and he said like the the one i'm talking about what was the game was 2-0 and it's it's one of those and it was right after uh um hector herrera came in and Mm -hmm. houston was pushing and created chances and he came big uh if houston had scored and that was like 64 65th minute uh, it could have been a a different game so he he keeps showing that he's worth uh, all the money the team is paying him and uh, that paying a goalkeeper so much may not be a mistake for a St. Louis CDSC. And Lutz mentioned that on a recent interview that he had where he said that even if Berkey hadn't been available because of a transfer fee or any other high-dollar high item, they still would have looked to a keeper from Europe with that same kind of pedigree skill set and something that they could bring into the specific style of play and system that St. Louis was building. But Santi, another player who has really impressed and uh, reiterated or shown his essentialness to the lineup at this point in time is Lucas Bartlett. Bartlett and Parker combined for nine clearances. Parker had 35 carries. Bartlett had 29 carries, second and third on the team after Leuven. And those mean they were playing the ball at their feet. So our center backs were helping to facilitate and create which is pretty markedly different from how our season started. And in addition to allowing Hebert to move over to the left side and really, like we said earlier, highlight a three center back model that can work for our team, Bartlett individually, second game in a row where he's one of the probably top five performers in the entire team. Yeah, yeah. He keeps uh, he keeps showing that that he was a great addition to the team and uh, it's so crazy that from being a trialist, he has become an important piece and he has that great relationship with Tim Parker um, on the field and outside the field. And and I think that that's one of the reasons why now um, Kyle Kiever uh, is playing um, is playing left back um, because um, basically he's also a key player for the team. So the team is trying to find to find a place for him, but also be able to uh, keep Bartlett on the field because he has been uh, gelling so well with with Tim Parker. But yeah, it's great to see. You think about it, a player that last year he he was drafted by FC Dallas, but he didn't see any minutes in MLS. He had some minutes in um, Open Cup, and he also played um, MLS Next Pro yep. with North, uh, Texas. North Texas. He actually played uh, a couple of times against City. Um, I actually talk to him this week i usually had to talk to one one of the players for a short interview i have to do during the broadcast so this week uh, it was barlett and uh, we had a good conversation we even talked about when he came to st louis played in edwardsville uh during the mls next pro playoffs and he was even though it, it was a smaller crowd he he mentioned that he was impressed with the support that uh, st louis had for uh cd2 but it's great to see him go from that uh, and he mentioned, like, probably my play during that game uh, helped uh, to get me seen by, by Lutz and Hackworth. And now I'm here and I'm trying to make the best of the chance that the team gave me. And for sure he is. 
Count him alongside AZ Jackson in players who played against City 2 last year that drew the eye of Carnell and Lutz and now are shining for St. Louis City. Yeah, that's that's awesome to see when you think about, okay, a bunch of guys from City 2 got MLS contracts. It's also great to see that some of the guys who played against City 2 got rewarded due to their performances against City 2. The last thing I want to say about Bartlin Parker is if their on-field chemistry wasn't apparent, their off-field chemistry definitely is, as they were both guest bartenders at one of the best new pubs in the area, The Pitch, last Sunday. So taking their talents to entertain the fans a little bit, uh, getting getting in their community and kind of just having fun with it really shows their relationship is strong on and off the field, and you love when that can carry onto the field, which is where we ultimately care about it. But Santi... Let's let's cover. I want to cover Rasmus Alm real quick because the fun fact that I had is the team is seven one and one in games where Alm plays, and he made his return last night for the first game since April 29th against Portland. Hopefully, he stays healthy, and hopefully, that seven one and one continues to improve. Yeah, that's a, that's a great stat. Um, he's doing he when he's healthy, he can be very dangerous. And before getting injured, he had a stretch of two, three games where he either scored or had an assist. So it's great to see him back. One more piece uh, to have available while Klaus uh, is back to health and uh, to being available with the team. But yeah, that just gives the team another weapon and he can also play a striker, so it'll be interesting to see how the team uses him when, when he's back for 90 minutes. My biggest thing on him, besides individual talent, which we know is there, is the flexibility, the added flexibility it gives our entire attacking group. You have Tomas Ostrak really shining in this game, but you have Rasmus Alm, you have Jared Stroud, Indiana Vasilev now, Klaus, Joachini. Jensen's still out there, AZ Jackson. I mean, there's a host of players that you have to find time for that are all playing at elite levels. And Santi, let's, as we try to wrap up our fallout recap, let's go through some facts of the game and where both teams stand because we need to do a quick look at our team heading into the FC Dallas matchup here in just a few days on June 7th, Wednesday, where we'll resume play for about 40 minutes or so. Some of the facts going out of this game, though, is that City SC remains undefeated. We're 7-0-1 in MLS action when they score first. Edu Leuven leads the team, like I said, in their, his goal contributions, including those three opening goal matches or opening goals in the last three matches, which helps City in that 7-0-1 record. St. Louis's three goals on Saturday night marked their eighth game with at least three goals in their 14 games played. The LA Galaxy are the only other team to have three-plus goals in as many games, so elite company there. City SC has trailed for only 52 of the 810 minutes they've played at City Park. City Park is a fortress, as we earlier alluded to, and some of the other interesting stats is that we've now scored at least three goals in each home game this season. 3-1 Charlotte, 3-0 Earthquakes, 5-1 FC Cincinnati, 4-0 Sporting KC, 3-1 Whitecaps, and now 3-0 Houston Dynamo. And that and that's, includes... That's on the on the games that the team has won. Yes, right? at City yeah. Park. Yep. Yeah, of yeah, the yeah. goals we've won at City Park. Or of the games yeah. we've won, rather, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yep. it's great to see uh, that when the team wins, it scores so much. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun to see that. All competitions now were 8-2-0 at City Park and 6-2-0 at home in MLS play. And our six home wins are tied for second most in the league right now behind FC Cincinnati, who we touched uh, before we started recording and just how 
incredible their season has been record setting in its own right after uh the worst possible start to an expansion franchise in mls history it's good to see them right the ship from a competitive perspective at least yeah what a turnaround for for cincinnati after a couple of bad years when when they joined the league but um they have a very good coach now who is from st louis Louis um and doing is is basically like I was when we were looking at the table, 39 points, and the team behind them is like eight points behind, and only one loss, and uh, has been winning games uh, right and left, also playing in Open Cup. But yeah, great season for Cincinnati. Um, hey, maybe I don't know. No, I, I'm, I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna jinx things. So I, I'll leave it to myself. I'll say something, though, without feeling like it'll jinx something because we don't play them the rest of the year. Cincinnati's record is 12 wins, one loss, and three ties. One guess as to who their one loss was against. Yeah. Yeah. But don't want to get too deep into that. Don't want to get too cocky or pompous. Let's just look at where Houston and St. Louis go from here. So Houston drops to 10th in the West after this matchup. They drop to 5-7-3, 5 wins, 7 losses, 3 draws. They have 18 points through 15 games. St. Louis, like we said, back to first in the West, improving to nine wins, four losses, and a draw. We have 28 points through 14 games, 32 goals scored, plus 18 goal differential. I like to finish where we started. We are six and two at home, like I said, and we have three games in hand on Seattle, which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, but on the flip side, LAFC has two games on us, who sit second or third, rather, in the West with 25 points. There's a there's a lot of interesting dynamics at play with so many different uh disparate games going on because of open cup and ccl so after another month or two when that starts to even out we could be looking at a vastly different table but for now we're sitting pretty and the next time these two meet will be september 16th in houston anything else on the houston game santi no no let's let's talk about what's coming up wednesday against dallas All right, so FC Dallas, we resume play, having been abandoned a few weeks ago, and the matchup itself by MLS rules dictates that both teams have to play from the same rosters and the same game flow that occurred when the game was abandoned. So the match summary as it existed up until that point where it was abandoned in the second half is Jesus Jimenez subbed in for Paul Areola in the 23rd minute of the match. Nico Joachini received a yellow card in the 25th minute. Tomas Olstrock received a yellow card at 45 plus two. And Tim Parker in the 47th minute in the second half received a yellow card. This was the yellow card that caused Tim Parker to be suspended, if I recall correctly. And this match should have no suspension considerations. Jared Stroud is not suspended for this. Tim Parker not suspended. Nothing related to that. The... The biggest things to keep in mind for FC Dallas is, other than the score being uh, 0-0, is the lineups. So our lineup was Roman Berkey in net, Johnny Nelson left back, Tim Parker and Lucas Bartlett center backs, Jake Nerwinski was our right back, Miguel Perez was defensive midfielder with Edu Leuven and Indiana Vasilev, Tomas Ostrak, Celio Pompeu, and Nico Giochini were some attackers as well. That lineup will be the group that we have to bring on the field to start the game with. We still have all of our subs available, whereas FC Dallas had only used one for Paul Areola, Jesus Jimenez coming in. So in this about 40 minutes or so, 
we have five available subs. It will be fascinating to see how Carnell manages these subs because on our bench, we had Ben Lunt, goal, uh, AZL Jackson, Jabulu Blome, Selmir Pedro, Jared Stroud, Isak Jensen, uh, Keel Watts, Josh Yarrow, and Kyle Hebert. Santi, what do you make of what we can expect to see or any thoughts you have on the lineups? Well, first, it's great to see uh, the players City has on the bench. And um, I, while you were going through the list, I, I was thinking, okay, so how early are we going to see a uh, substitution? Is, is this one of those that like maybe 10 minutes into it, if the score hasn't changed, make a substitution or maybe you wait 15, 20 minutes, but uh, it'll be great to see uh, what the two teams will, will do with, with the, the substitutions they have available. Mm-hmm. Another thing I wanted to mention is uh, Dallas is coming into this game not in the best form. They uh, lost last night to uh, Nashville at home, 2-1, to one, and um, they haven't won the last four they they had two ties and two losses mm-hmm. and just thinking about when the teams met uh back in may um when the match uh, was abandoned dallas was coming in better form uh the previous month they had only lost one game out of their five so uh different momentum for dallas and different momentum for for city also so so yeah it'll be a great 40 minutes uh we will probably see uh, the coaches uh, trying to play uh, their chess match with the substitution. So, so looking forward to this short game. The one, uh, the one positive we have is that Paul Ariola will be unavailable, but uh, Alan Velasco, who was questionable going into the initial match, is on their bench. So he'll be a player who they can call upon. And just like ours, I think it'll be interesting to see how those subs are managed. I agree with you. You have um, a very concise, quick amount of time. So. How how Carnell approaches this in conjunction with the overall training week will be interesting. He's obviously not going to use it as a training session, but just thinking about loads that these guys typically handle during the week, um, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw subs right off the bat, whether it's the first stoppage or if they're allowed to make a sub right from the very beginning. I'm not sure, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jared Stroud get significant time uh, getting possibly mm. Jabulu Blome in there if... Uh, if we need in our midfield, but honestly, it's a strong lineup. Like you can, I think if you, if you need to rest Blome for the week and you give him a full week's rest, that's fine. Same with Kyle Hebert or AZ Jackson. The, the lineup we have out there is strong. It's a back line that we, I feel very comfortable with our midfield. There's no reason to question Vasilev Leuven or Miguel Perez. And then Joaquini Salio and Tomas Ostrak all in good form. So I'm, I'm very confident in who we have out there. I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple early subs, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Carnell decided to roll with this for 90 plus percent of the match. Yeah. And the 50 minutes uh, that this game uh, had back then, uh, the team, the team didn't score, but um, things started to, to look good without Klaus. Uh, Obviously there was a regression the following week against Chicago, but uh, this was a game uh, 
like Carnell was disappointed because um, the the game stopped and had abandoned got abandoned. But he was saying like the team was playing well. I wish we could have kept playing because we we were ready to to take the three points from Dallas. So um, hopefully the team will continue in that form. And I I like the lineup that will start. It'll be interesting to see. If, I don't know if they can do a substitution right off the bat before the game starts. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on how the game is going, um, I wouldn't be surprised if 10, 15 minutes into it, there mm -hmm. is at least one or two substitutions. And the other thing we didn't see in that FC Dallas game is an attacking-oriented Indiana Vasilev. So while we, we weren't doing poorly, I think this adds an extra component, extra dimension to what we'll be able to throw. Any other comment you want to make about Dallas, Santi? No, no. Hopefully, City can make it four in a row and get ready for a big party on Sunday, June 11 against um, LA Galaxy, which we will be covering on our Thursday episode. We'll go in depth on that. Uh, one other thing that we're going to talk about on Thursday, whether it makes it to the radio portion for the Big 550 KTRS, I want to talk with our group about players so far who have made themselves um, no-brainer starters. So we, we have our lists of who we feel are you have to slot them in if they're healthy, no matter what. And I'm excited to talk about that. But for now, Santi. One last thing. I, I don't want to I don't want to leave uh, Joseph Elif hanging. Uh, he had a comment. Oh. Uh, he, he said uh, three games ago, people said. Can't, can't score without Klaus, get Sam and Aaron back. No one is saying that now. What happened? Um, and, and, and I totally agree with Joe. It's one of those things like you have to give, give it time. Like, yeah, the team uh, struggled for two, three mm -hmm. games without Klaus and without Adeniran. And uh, the timing wasn't great. But uh, I just don't think re like calling him back right away was the solution. And, and the team is showing uh, it had some things to work on and some things uh, to do to find uh, mm -hmm. that recipe for success that has seen in the last three weeks. It's a long season and you can't make knee jerk reactions because what you can you can replay what would have happened. So if we brought Sam back, regardless of if he does well or not, you figure Klaus is still going to return and you still have Klaus and Joachini who had been playing very well together beforehand. So what happens to Sam if he's left on the roster and Klaus returns? He's not a kind of player like Indiana Vasilev who can slot into the midfield in a different role at this point in time. And it would have done him a huge disservice to not have the opportunity to play consistently that he's finding now with San Antonio. So I think if you think about it from a you have to be patient because an MLS season is a marathon, not a sprint, then this is the thing that really rewards fans for being patient. Yes, there's going to be knee-jerk reactions in the moment. Yes, there's going to be overreactions in the moment. But it's Carnell's job. It's Lutz's job to manage all of those expectations internally with the team, do what's best for the individual player, and do what's best for the team overall. And I think we've seen that to a T these past four weeks or so. Yeah, yeah. So let's keep it going this week, and we'll talk to you guys again on Thursday. Yep, appreciate that. And uh, if you've joined us for this uh, spur of the moment live stream, we appreciate it. But if you're listening to this on any of the podcast formats, we thank you for listening. Um, give us a review, like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff really helps us out. Thank you for joining us for this flyover fallout. My name is Matt Baker for Santiago Beltran. We'll talk to you later this week. Vamos, City.